passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Rewind the dynamite from the most recent sight. AEW lighting up the fuse. Sit back and enjoy the bubbly. As we hear from John and Waiting. Where we're going, we don't need roads. And if the bug stops here, this thing might blow. Everything you hear, opinions of the show. And if you don't like it, go to the forums and let them know. Hello, everybody. Welcome to. A Thursday edition of Rewinded Dynamite. It is John Pollock here with Wei Ting. Wei, hello. Hey, John. Um, it absolutely does not feel like a Thursday. I'm I'm so used to like watching AEW on Wednesdays and then talking to you right afterwards that like I could have sworn to you just a minute ago that it was Wednesday until you told me otherwise. It is in fact a Thursday. I am the human calendar here to keep you on track. I would hate to know if you would forget to like put out your garbage or something tonight uh, because you'd think it's Wednesday. I did do that. So, okay. um, but yeah, no, it, it feels kind of odd, but nice. Only one, one more day left in the week. What a nice surprise. Surprise, surprise. One more day to go this week, uh, of which we are doing how many straight nights of shows? I I don't want to do that math in my head. It's a lot. I think I'm going to be talking to you every night for a week. Yeah, we're going at least till next Thursday. Oh, boy. <laughs> wow. I, I can't believe I have... Uh, oh, I have the G1 hasn't even for... started yet, John. Oh, that's true. We we have the G1 to, to go for. But uh, your, your patience level is astounding. I, I can't believe I haven't like kind of just worn on you. Um, No, I mean, it. you know what? It's, it's actually like totally fine i mean um it's only really for a couple hours a day and then and you're nice. and then you're done with me for like at least 24 <laughs> so it's 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 like you, you just get it over with no no of course not uh well before we get into all of the dynamite stuff news we're also going to be going over some of the highlights uh for the post wrestling cafe in September, I did want to use this time at the start of the show to talk about uh, some very serious issues that are going on in the world. And I think it's on everybody's mind. So I thought it would be fitting that we speak at least a little bit about it here at the beginning of the show. And that uh, stems from the shooting of Jacob Blake this past Sunday and what has erupted in the days since and really hitting a, I thought, way a very important moment on Wednesday night when 
the Milwaukee Bucks decided not to take the court for their game and putting a lot of decision-making on the part of players because this was very much, this was not league starting, stopping play. It was players making this decision to take a strike and not a play. And we've seen uh, decisions placed in the hands of, of players. We saw Major League Baseball Major League Soccer, the WNBA uh, follow as well. Uh, the NHL tonight was not playing games. And it's a story that sadly we keep uh, circling back to. It's a horrifying video, uh, if you have seen it online, involving Jacob Blake. I'm sure most people listening to this are, are very familiar with the story. But this was an individual that uh, police were called on on Sunday night uh, by a woman, and it is not known yet if uh, she was calling in regards to this person or something else. There are still very uh, sketchy details on what happened before uh, this video that has surfaced. But what we have been able to see is this individual going towards his car with his back to the police officers, and one officer proceeded to shoot him, uh, fired off seven bullets. Uh, again, his back to the officers. He is paralyzed as of now from the waist down. Uh, his three children were in the car, which will probably haunt them for the rest of their lives, hearing those seven shots going off. And it has set off yet another, I think, just a sense of frustration of what is enough in terms of a message getting across, of any change occurring, and here we are. But it is sometimes the world of sports that are somewhat the the gateway to people's conversations starting, uh, whether that's a good thing or a bad thing in the world, it's sometimes the the tipping point for many people that, okay, on Wednesday night, people had to stand back and understand why these games are not happening. And it's a very big discussion. And there's, there's a lot of anger out there. I think in this case, it's, it's very much a good thing because um, certainly like, world leaders aren't necessarily attacking the issue with i think the tact that you know the um the people of the world are looking for right now so to me um it is another sign of like the power of celebrity and how important um it can be when it's used for something important like this uh you know we find ourselves in a really unique situation where like sports for many people are the only fresh source of entertainment at the moment. And that creates incredible leverage for the people in control of sports. And, um, you know, it just so happens in this case, like a group of players decided to like, you know, take a stand for something they truly believe in something that obviously affects them very much personally. Um, and yes, you know, be being the Wisconsin based team, I mean, there was, um, I, I I don't want to say pressure on them, but in, in some ways, like all eyes were on if anyone is going to initiate this, the Milwaukee-based team was going to have to be that team. And I, I'm sure that that was something that they had to in, internalize and, and make that decision and the others following suit. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, all it really takes is for like, I guess, you know, one group of people to really initiate it. And then um, like almost like, you know, like every seeing seeing all the other other teams um, agree to it, and then seeing other sports agree to it too, to me was like a really powerful statement um, about like what can be done with celebrity. Yes, it's all well and good to be entertainers 
uh, because that's all, all every, every athlete ultimately is, you know, where they're entertainers. Um, but to me, like celebrity is kind of useless unless you, you know, it's just frivolous unless you use it for, I think something important like this. And I, I think that's where you, you saw some of that sentiment from some of the players that, all right, we, we've come back to play here. And there was a lot of debate about whether it's, it's right to be coming back or if it's a distraction that we are providing from these real issues. And it's, it's one thing to put black lives matter onto the court, but it can't just be window dressing. And I think like you heard some players like discuss this, that more needs to be done than just saying the right things. And I think that that really came to a head, especially over the past 24 hours. Now, as we're, as we're speaking now, it, you know, 24 hours ago, there was a real discussion that, this could end the NBA season if teams decide to leave the bubble. That's it for the season, um, or at least very difficult to then reestablish uh, your bubble. It now appears that the season will resume, but I think a statement has been made, and I, I think that these players do understand that they that their their actions do carry a lot because on Wednesday night, it was front and center, uh, even with the Republican convention going on. This was the discussion point, and you saw such um, kind of poignant reflections happening in real time by uh, – you saw Chris Webber's speech, uh, Kenny Smith just getting up and walking off the set of Inside the NBA. I mean there was some some sincere reflection I think happening on on Wednesday, and it comes down to I think people just completely out of options or completely out of any kind of – solutions when you're seeing this happen on such a regular basis and i think that's where it is that it is it should not be this fearful to be a black individual in america and that's how so many feel about it and athletes are i I don't know if they should necessarily be tasked with the ones that have to be leading this but in some ways they serve as as a bridge to so many people and for one night you're not getting your nba and you have to confront why we are not doing this. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I don't know if it's like right to say who. I mean, you would think like you know. I, I suppose people put in charge of leading. Um, you know, these places would would be the ones. But like the, we. I think for a lot of people, we trust like the our athletes a lot more than we trust our politicians these days. So I I don't know. I don't know if there's necessarily. You know, some something where you could say these people have a responsibility to, but they certainly have the influence. And, you know, to see that. And a large platform. Yeah. These are people that like this is a gigantic industry and they are the product and they have an enormous following and their actions do have um, reverberations throughout the, you know, those that they are watching. And as much as we talk about escapist entertainment and getting away from the problems of the real world. Maybe we need to revisit that a little, that we shouldn't be necessarily just escaping all of these problems. We do have to confront some of these problems because there's a lot of people that don't have the option of escaping these issues. And these are problems that are being grappled with. And I mean, I speak from it, from my perspective of someone that, does not have to confront this on a daily basis. So I look at it from that way and I completely understand the the frustration that's out there that it's just 
another one of these happens and when is the next one going to occur not if oh yeah and like i mean i i feel like you know like this was another case of this incident being caught on video think about all the countless incidents that occur on a daily basis that we don't hear about because we don't have video evidence you know nobody was lucky enough i mean i i hate to even use that word uh describing situations like these but uh, these these things aren't publicized all the time because there's no evidence on video of it um so you know let's not pretend like none none of this is not happening in between george floyd and this um it's just another reminder uh and i think you know really the action of the nba players um is the thing that made it into an actual you know it, it was a news story even before that but it it became even bigger again you know with the catalyst being the thing we all hold dear sports, you know, the thing that every news station dedicates a segment of time talking about sports. Um, so to me, it's a reminder of like, when we talk about the term influencer, like in, in, in this period, I mean, what, what does that truly entail? You know, does it mean you can influence somebody to like buy a brand of, I don't know, handbag or whatever bullshit. Or does it mean you can influence somebody to care about things that actually matter? It's a reminder to, to anybody who has that label like slapped on them. Yeah. Um, so I just wanted to start off the show, just uh, not necessarily providing any um, conclusions to any of this, but it's um, it, it's just hard to, I, I think, just uh I don't know if you have conclusions. Certainly you wouldn't find it on no. a wrestling podcast, you know, but I, I think having the conversation again, you know, throughout this entire thing talking is 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 healthy in my opinion mm -hmm. um well let's uh let's do the worst uh segue possible and uh move on from that to some news items tonight uh to get through not uh too much going on tonight we did do a bonus show on wednesday so if people uh, would like to check out that we went through the uh the raw ratings um going into uh tonight way i guess the biggest story coming out of nxt on wednesday was Karrion Cross relinquishing the NXT title, coming out in the opening segment, doing a very brief promo, laying down the title, and following that, the announcement of a four-way 60-minute Iron Man match will take place next Tuesday for the NXT Super Tuesday with Adam Cole, Tommaso Ciampa, Johnny Gargano, and Finn Balor for the vacant title. Um we knew about the separated shoulder that Cross had sustained during the match with Keith Lee on Saturday and evidently much worse than initially thought on Saturday, which uh terrible for carrying Cross because it sounds like if they're relinquishing the title that this is going to be some time until we see him in the ring again. You know, because it is um like because they seem so optimistic, you know, at the start of the like right after takeover thinking that he hopefully he wasn't going to miss any time. I I I have to at least keep a little bit of optimism that this isn't going to be an injury that will take him out for like that significant amount of time. Like as far as we know, we we haven't heard anything about like whether or not he needs surgery or anything like that, right? No, we don't know that. Right. Okay. So I guess maybe we we don't even really know, but hopefully it's not that, um, and that this is only a, a shorter hiatus for him. Um, you know, could it have been a case where you know even if he was to be out for a month? Well, we can't necessarily afford a month because we have all these shows, a lot of them unopposed, that we want to have big title defenses for. Um, I'm hoping it's more of a scenario like that, not 
because Karrion Cross needs a significant amount of time off. You know, I mean the the you know it sucks to say, but I mean the silver lining of this is they have this dynamite match mm-hmm. for a night next week where oh, you want to have intended or no? Uh, yeah, I did not even uh, mean to stumble into that one, but I guess so. Um, I mean, this match next Tuesday is going to be incredible. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I, I mean, you know, the way they, they promoted it and built it up, it really does feel like it's a legitimate Mount Rushmore of, like, NXT's, like, best four representatives going up against each other. And I don't know, like, who would have really realized it at the time. Hey, we happen to have all these guys still under our roster. Uh, within NXT, we have Finn Balor back, and we can advertise this fatal four-way. Um, it it definitely is a fantastic hook. Do you like the idea of advertising it as an Iron Man match ahead of time versus the option of just announcing, hey, four-way, no time limit, must be a winner, and it ends up being an hour? Um, you know, it's hmm. we we've been removed from a long time. I always remember they did an Iron Man. They've done a few on TV. But I always remember a Triple H, Chris Benoit one that they did. And you would see that, you know, there would people would tune in at the beginning, they'd tune out, and then they'd come back for the final 10 minutes. Now, again, this may be a different audience in 2020 that this is just going to do a tremendous number. But what is your thought process of advertising this as guaranteed this is going 60 minutes and you know that it's not going to end after 20 minutes or 30 minutes? You know, I, I actually like your idea a whole lot more. Um, let's say, like, they started this thing at 9 o'clock, and then, I, I you know, I don't know. I, I Like, you're flipping back and forth. If you are one of those people who still flips back and forth, and you're seeing that this thing still has gone on, I would actually love the idea of, like, a bit more of a surprise. Uh, but, you know, the, an Iron Man match, despite, I think what it might mean to a lot of people when you really think about what it is. Oh, man, I'm going to, like, sit through this thing for a whole hour. Um, I think the term Iron Man match is still a draw for, you know, um, a lot of people. At least, like, it's a curiosity about what this is going to look like. You know, you're guaranteed that this is going to be a long and epic match. Uh, and get a new champion, too. You'll get a new champion at, at the end of it. Uh, you know, at the very least, I feel like your last, you know, five minutes are going to do really strong for NXT. Um, what does it also mean that people are likely to tune out for the the, the beginning portions of this match? I kind of think am, it's possible. Yeah, yeah, it's possible. Like again, that was always the rap that Iron Man matches would get, but we are you know a generation removed from that. So I mean, maybe you're talking about a more uh, like an NXT fan base that is more akin that they they want to sit down for sixty minutes. So it'll be interesting to see how it does, but. I mean, on paper, this sounds like it could be just a phenomenal, phenomenal match. Absolutely. Maybe the, maybe the second greatest match of WWE's history. We'll, we'll find out. Yeah. We'll, we'll see if we have any special camera angles. Ooh, yeah. Some crowd sweetening. Uh, this week's show, the Unopposed NXT episode, did 824,000 viewers, so down just over 3% from last week. And their 18 to 49 number was identical. Uh, the big jump from last week was with uh, adults 18 to 34, which were up uh, 50%, and males 12 to 34 up 43%. The rest was all, you know, so, some small gains, some small losses, uh, and others were just even. Those were the. The, the large uh, gains were the biggest uh, differences from last week. But 
you know, on the one hand, you had the NBA games that uh, ended up not being played last night, but I would counter that there was so much more uh, news interest coverage. of news coverage. Exactly. Uh, when you look at the cable numbers, uh, like Fox News dominated uh, the top 10, as did the Weather Channel, because you had uh, Hurricane Laura. So there was uh, amplified interest in news coverage last night. And I would tie all the NBA stuff into that as well, that I, I think NXT, yeah, you weren't going against basketball games, but you were going against uh, so much more of people that were following the news last night for various reasons. And I guess this takes us to next Tuesday will be a very interesting number as well to see how well NXT holds up on a different night of the week. I'll say just watching this week, I really like the idea of having these nights split up between NXT and AEW. I think especially for NXT, it's beneficial to them. They're going to reach a larger audience without having AEW opposite them. And we're going to find out, uh, well, with Thursday's number, but more importantly, next Wednesday's number for AEW when they're in their traditional slot, what an unopposed week means for AEW. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, uh, this period of several weeks of unopposed shows for both shows is a really great period to try to, like, collect data. Um, but what is it looking more like, more and more like for you, if you had to draw any conclusions with, with what we know so far? With NXT, I think that it's no doubt that they have, um, you know, w without the competition, I think you're you're clearly hitting a much larger audience number. And there was a lot going on Wednesday night. Who is to say what the what the ceiling would be uh, without that? I think with AEW, I think it's very interesting how well they did on Saturday. If TNT views them, you know, Wednesday night has been their home. There's no reason to move them. Um, is there a more advantageous spot with them where they? are paired up with a stronger lead-in. I think that there's lots of things you can maybe take from this, or it's simply just written off as, hey, these were two weeks where we had to move them around, but these are both going to be Wednesday night properties. NXT, to me, would be the one that you're looking at the audience this week, like, this is what we could be hitting every week if we were on a Tuesday night. And I would say that discussion gets a little bit more amplified if they do an outstanding number next Tuesday on a, on a post. Mm-hmm. Um, a bit of breaking news here. Yeah, do you want to uh, read this? Yeah, uh, this comes from Scott, Scott Armstrong, who says that it, it is with a heavy heart, very heavy heart, that we announced the passing of our father and WWE Hall of Famer Bullet Bob Armstrong. Information regarding funeral arrangements will come at a later date. And uh, the man was 80 years old. 80 years old. Yeah, I mean, uh, Bob Armstrong was just um, so synonymous uh, in the South. Um, Throughout, man, going back to 1960 uh, when he started his career and, you know, right up until, I mean, he was, you know, a, a figurehead position that he held in NWA TNA as their commissioner, uh, similar role that he held in Smoky Mountain Wrestling. Um, you know, Bob Armstrong was, you know, a phenomenal promo and just such a big name in that part of the country and the patriarch of the Armstrong family. Um Brian James, Steve Armstrong, Scott Armstrong, uh, the late Brad Armstrong, uh, who died a number of years ago. Um, yeah, so uh, our condolences to the mm -hmm. Armstrong family, but uh, that's literally just coming in now. So I'm sure we'll have much more on that in the uh, next day or so. Um, he wrestled his final match at 79? He had been, I mean, 
they would sh- like his um, Scott Armstrong would like put up photos of like the two of them like working out together and stuff. Like he was, I know he had been sick, but like still had been you know keeping fit. And as I recall, um, yeah, so he had been he had been diagnosed. With, with cancer this was a while back i want to say it was earlier this year um that they announced that uh he had i'm just reading this here um he had been diagnosed with bone cancer in his ribs shoulder and prostate and i think he had declined to go through chemotherapy and mm-hmm. so i mean it had been known that he was sick and he wasn't going to kind of uh put himself through that which i mean you can certainly respect that decision to not mm-hmm. want to you know, have your your final, you know, months, years uh, succumb to uh, chemotherapy. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Very sad, very unfortunate news. Um, Andrew Thompson uh, will have a story up there on the site by the time you read this, and uh, I'm sure more will come uh, in the days ahead. So, again, our condolences. Uh, just a few more things here. Uh, New Japan has announced they're doing their two night. Fighting Spirit Unleashed shows. These will be the the Friday nights on uh, New Japan World. So September 4th will be the first night, and they've announced Jay White against Flip Gordon, Brody King against Hikuleo, and the New Japan debut of the former Darren Young, Fred Rosser. Oh, interesting. Yeah, interesting name to be added there. And then the following week, Friday, September the 11th, they're going to do Kenta versus Jeff Cobb with the winner having the right to the U.S. heavyweight title shot, the briefcase. Um, Yeah, they've introduced their own briefcase uh, for John Moxley's championship. Um, And it's you can tell, I guess, it's not um, for the world championship because this is this briefcase looks like it's made out of plastic. Okay. Like it's not, you know, the Halliburton. It's not the expensive one. It's it's definitely a secondary briefcase. Maybe um, John Moxley should give a some papers to Tony Khan that he just signs without reading them, and then says, Ooh. "Hey, Tony, you didn't read page seventeen <laughs> that said I can work New Japan shows in California on my days off." Uh, you know, uh, he looks like a wonderful negotiator. Maybe that's how he got out of the WWE without like doing so many jobs. Uh, possible. Yeah. Could, could have been. Um, and then Saturday, uh, just looking at the, at the lineup now for Jingu stadium, we have six matches announced as of now Tetsuya Naito, uh, challenging evil for the double championship. Uh, the rematch, no one asked for, but we're getting it. Uh, Tanahashi and Kota Bushi challenging Taichi and Zack Sabre Jr. For the IWGP tag titles. Junior heavyweight title match, Hiromu Takahashi and Taiji Ishimori, which should be outstanding. Shingo Takagi and Minoru Suzuki, that I think has uh, most people's interest uh, as the mm-hmm. standout match on this card. Yeah, The four-way match for the the King of Pro Wrestling 2020 finals, Sonata, Desperado, Toriyano, and Kazuchika Okada. And opening things up, Yoshinobu Kanemaru and, I can only imagine, his first official walkout with his brand new t-shirt. Master Watto. Oh God, this T-shirt. Um, picture is this? Is this just like the ultimate joke? And the punchline is this guy's career. You know, I thought like ri- like ribbing, giving people like gimmicks, like you know, with Shorty G was something exclusive to the WWE. But uh, if you told me that this entire Master Watto thing has been somebody like Gato or whoever's very sick form of hazing publicly for this poor. Uh, here I Kawato, I mean, 
I would be like, oh, that makes sense. Because what we see <laughs> down from the gimmick to the blue pants to this awful, awful t-shirt that they just released for Master Watto. Imagine the Air Jordan, you know, Jumpman logo. But the man is like crumpled up in a undefinable yoga position. And you slap that thing in gray on a plain black t-shirt with Master Watto on the back. That's pretty much what you have. Um, definitely not a not a Robert Pearson uh, <laughs> design. Oh man, they gotta get they gotta get on that uh, the Robin Pearson or the Robert Pearson uh, Express. I think Master Watto needs something. at least make it blue. Come on, you gotta fit the theme. I don't know what's going on with this guy. I'm hoping he loses to Kanemaru and he just like explodes and we never see Master <laughs> Watto again. It's just like, ha, 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 match. I, I got you. And this is the end of Master Watto. It could be a setup. I mean, you know, at the end of it all, like at the end of the year, maybe he just like has a complete makeover um, and just becomes like, you know, like the drug dealer we always wanted Noe Jose to be. Maybe comes out to his new theme can be a remix of like uh, Mr. Roboto, but Mr. Watto. They could. Yeah. That would I be could come up with plenty of worse ideas to officially have this guy just expedite his road to rock bottom. Hey, if and, this guy can get over with this gimmick, then I mean, he's going to, he's going to be headlining a few Tokyo domes. I think this is the ultimate test. These are like the the ultimate polka dots, you know, he hasn't even had like the, there was the initial, I would say, one-week grace period where it was, oh, this character's so bad, it's kind of cool. And that that can ride you a little bit. It was like the, the Heath Slater, I've got kids comedy run. He didn't even get, like, two weeks out of that. That was seven days, and it was, now this really sucks. It's a long-form story. You know, Japanese love their underdogs. Um, maybe in five years' time. You know, you're, you're not selling your stock on Mr. Watto. You are in this for the long haul to see this guy make it. I mean, give it a chance. Okay. I don't know how much I'm getting you the shirt for Christmas. I can only hope. Well, uh, before we get to dynamite, uh, we want to take some time because we're, we are approaching the end of the month, which means uh, a brand new month is about to begin. Duh. Uh, so for members of the post wrestling cafe, September is going to be a loaded one, not the least of which will include our annual coverage of the G1 Climax. That means more of myself and Way than you can possibly handle because we will be kicking off our coverage of the G1 on Saturday, September the 19th, and we will be doing shows after every G1 card for members of the Post Wrestling Cafe. Are you ready, Way, for our annual Insane sprint through the G1. We, you know, we didn't have a WrestleMania weekend this year. Uh, I felt oddly, I don't know. Like, I felt like I, you know, like, come on. Like, I'm, we're, you and I, John, like, we're, we're racehorses. We need to run. And we've been held back this entire summer. Okay, we haven't had a G1 in the summer, no WrestleMania weekend. We need to run. We need to sprint. I'm ready, John. I'm ready to get out of the gates. September 19th, here I come. September 19th starts off with a, a pair of shows, the 19th and 20th. 
Um, and then they'll be running all the way through mid-October, final three nights, October 16th, 17th, and 18th at Sumo Hall. We will have a show after everyone uh, for members of the Post Wrestling Cafe. And you could say, you know what? We could really hang our hat just on the G1. But that's not what we're going to do because me and Wei have a death wish. We want to kill each other. So <laughs> we will be doing our regular uh, Tuesday cafe shows, uh, which begin on Tuesday September the 4th with our next Rewind Away, which will be Halloween Havoc 1991 featuring the Chamber of Horrors. Um, What a selection by Justin Killian, our espresso executive producer. That will be followed the next week, September the 11th, with the return of our very popular Rocky Reviews. We're moving on to Rocky 2, the rematch. The rematch, yeah. We're just kicking this off, so now is a great time to to jump on. it is these are i would say the the most famous most highly regarded combat sports films out there featuring perhaps the most recognizable combat sports character ever created in Rocky Balboa and we're going to follow his journey from the 70s all the way up to the modern day one a month all the way from Rocky 1 to Creed 2 so i'm really looking forward to it i'm i'm very much excited about continuing these rocky reviews i was all set to watch rocky 2 after the first one so um, that will be coming up Tuesday, September the 11th, or sorry, Tuesday, oh, I was reading September August September the here. 1st. Oh, sorry, September the 8th. <laughs> Damn. September the, September the 1st is Rewind Away. I was totally looking at the calendar of August. September 8th, Tuesday, September 8th will be Rocky 2. Uh, then we've got a Rewind Away going back to WCW's Great American Bash of 1990. And then after that, it will be Ask Away. Followed by another rewind away. So you get three rewind aways in the month of September on top of the G1 coverage. Uh, in addition to all of our regular uh, shows as well, including Clash wow. of Champions. Tons of stuff. $6 a month gets you access to all the bonus audio shows. I feel like we should cut back some of this stuff. I feel like we're like... I feel like somebody's coming in to our wonderful cafe and just... Pouring themselves free refills one after the other. But you know what? It's okay. We're in a giving mood this month. September, the best time to join. We'll see if there's a month full of uh, double-doubles or some whatever ranking system we adopt for the G1 this year. Oh, okay. Awesome. So there you go. PostWrestlingCafe.com. If you are uh, thinking about subscribing and are not currently a member of the cafe, do not sign up right now. Wait till September the 1st and then... You get all the uh, all the attributes that the cafe provides, but you do get charged immediately. So wait till the first, and then you. But get the if month. you but if you wanted to, John, I mean, you still get plenty. Like, not only do you get the rest of the month that just occurred on Friday, you're going to get Rwanda SmackDown. Saturday, you're going to get the Summer Struggle post show, uh, and if you're a double double patron, you get a live edition of Payback coming out on Sunday. So plenty of reasons. That's a great to join point. Right now. I'm going to sign up now. You're right. I'm going to sign up now because I want to hear Rewind to SmackDown. I want to hear the Jingu Stadium show. And hell, I'm going double-double so that I get a live payback review on Sunday night. And, why and, Why are we having a WWE pay-per-view on Sunday night? It boggles my mind that we know, are coming back on Sunday way to chat about a WWE pay-per-view. Yeah, well, you know what? Come on. What, are you, what else are you going to do instead? Life? Read a book. <laughs> overrated. Books, overrated. Playing with your family overrated wwe pay-per-views that's what living is all about so that's what we're going to be here for um 
And, you know, besides getting all of these extra shows done, you get the wonderful, wonderful sensation of knowing that you're helping out post-wrestling. If you're enjoying any of our shows, all of our free ones, uh, and, you know, all the all the paid ones, if you enjoy John and Andrew and uh, a lot of other people's work on the website, uh, your patronage supports all of that and makes all, this whole thing go. So uh, that that in itself, I think, is worth the membership. Yes, uh, you are helping very much so uh, on on the site. And also want to make mention on the site right now, we've got a very special interview with David Arquette that was conducted by Justin Morissette from the Wrestle Central show on Sportsnet 650 in Vancouver. Um, they're on a they're on a hiatus right now uh, with the show. So they had this interview and Justin contacted me. So we've got the entire transcript transcript of the interview. And this might be the first uh Transcribed interview with multiple run-ins because we've got RJ City making his way into the interview. And it's a really engaging uh, chat with David Arquette, uh, whose new documentary is out on Friday. You cannot kill David Arquette. Uh, I really, really enjoyed this interview that Justin did. And uh, we're very privileged to to be hosting it. Um, I never, I did, you know, like, first of all, David Arquette was incredibly honest about like, and I, I, I'm really looking forward to this documentary anyway. But even in this interview, like, talks a lot about, obviously, the Nick Gage match. Um, Really, like, I think the bitter feeling he kind of had, you know, uh, after his WCW run and wanting to somewhat redeem himself in the wrestling business that way by having a match with Nick Gage for some reason. Um, Talks a lot about his closest with Luke Perry and, you know, obviously a bit about Jungle Boy in there as well. And if you didn't think that the interview could get better, RJ City the funniest human being in professional wrestling makes a run in and essentially like extends this thing by like 20 minutes. So uh, great job by Justin and uh, really, you know, happy to have that on the site. Yeah. I uh, definitely recommend checking that out. It's a great discussion. And we've also got a book review up there from our, our resident reviewer, Brandon Sears uh, chatting about Keith Elliott Greenberg's latest book, too sweet inside the indie wrestling revolution which i have received uh, an advanced copy of so i will be checking that out in the uh that that's that's on deck that's uh that's going to be the next one i tackle i actually got to sit next to keith at uh in the press box at wrestlemania last year in 2019 and it was quite the treat for me to be able to chat with a uh, keith elliot greenberg someone that was writing for wwf magazine in the mid 80s and then did uh freddie blassie's book Superstar Billy Graham's book, um, you know, just, uh, you know, a wealth of knowledge on the historical front of professional wrestling. So uh, yeah. there's a review up on the site now from uh, from Brandon Sears chatting about that particular release, which is out uh, next week from ECW Press. I actually wasn't wasn't so familiar with the name and I Googled it. I'm like, oh, of course. Yeah, he was, uh, you know, one of one of the staples uh, that mm-hmm. I always recall when I would read WWF magazine, seeing uh, his byline in there. All right. Well, thanks to everyone for tuning in. Uh, we'll be back on Friday uh, with Rewind to SmackDown. So uh... that's it. Oh, yeah. Hey, um, I know you're joking, John. You're doing the false finish. Very funny. Okay. Uh, but I forgot about this last week. Let's not do it again this week. Okay. We have a T-shirt to give away to a lucky patron. Even on a Thursday, we're continuing with these things. So again, if you are a post wrestling patron, not only do you get uh, all these shows, the wonderful sensation of helping out profe- uh, post wrestling. You are also entered into draw every single week for a free T-shirt from store.postwrestling.com, our official merch store. So, John, 
I've got the drums. Are you ready? I'm ready. Dun, dun, dun. Congratulations to Brian Vogan from New York. From uh, Penyan? Penyan, New York? I don't know what that means, but okay. Penyan. Okay. Well, uh, congratulations. Penyan. You're sure it's not Yonkers 730? Penyan is an actual place in new york i thought this was a typo but no it's a it's a village uh, an incorporated village in yates county new york so wow awesome okay well congratulations brian you are the proud owner of a new item from store.postwrestling.com it exists awesome aw dynamite thursday dynamite thursday from daily's place we had 10 percent capacity uh, that Daly's Place had been open to. Uh, some debate over them going with this, but I will say from a sound point of view, um, this was definitely the best sounding show of any wrestling show in a long time. You know, it definitely made a difference. Um, would you say that it sounded better than like some of the canned AEW shows, just going by sound? Um, y- yeah, I understand what you're saying with those. I would say... I still felt like there was a certain natural mm. sound to tonight, especially when John Moxley came out that it, it felt like organic sound mm. as opposed to, you know, it sounded lively on some of these taped shows, but it's also, it's very clear. It's also canned audio. Mm. So I would say this was the most naturally sounding show I've watched since March. So, um, and, and that was, again, we're, we're looking at 10%. So give or take 500 people that would have, would have been in there. And they did still have, they they still had like you know I noticed like Austin Gunn there like they still did have people ringside and those were not normal fans. Yeah, in, in that sense, I would agree with you. You know, like I, do we take maybe a louder stadium sounding sound, but knowing that it's inorganic, or would you prefer sort of like the organic sound of even a smaller crowd? Um, I might prefer this. There's so, definitely something like you know, a bit more magical about seeing genuine reactions. And, and, you know, that was on full display in the first thing that they did on the show with Chris Jericho coming out. Jericho uh, came out and was with Jim Ross and Tony Schiavone. So once again, no Excalibur. And this was the taping where it had kind of been discussed that he was expected to be back. I'm pretty sure I saw a photo that they tweeted of him being actually there. Okay. So um could be a case of them just him just being there for like dark. Um but I'm pretty sure Excalibur actually made it, but for some reason okay. wasn't on this particular show. So let me just like pull pull up that uh tweet or something. But yeah. Uh but just on to the Jericho point, you know, he walks out here and these fans are singing Judas. And they're singing it faintly, but you can hear hear it nonetheless. And like they zoom in on the look on Jericho's face. Dude, As he was a, so happy. Oh my he god! Was so, he was just and on commentary all night. Like he was so happy to have fans back, even a limited amount of them. You can tell. I mean, he genuinely uh, uh, missed this like sensation of hearing the crowd sing the song back to him. And I would say it made for like a really nice symbolic moment to start the show. That hey, fans are actually back. At least ten percent of them. It was very cool to have them sing something that's been gone for so long. Um, I thought Jericho was great on commentary tonight. I mean, he, him and Jim Ross in particular, I think they have a great, they have a great chemistry and how Jericho plays off of Tony 
And he's just so enthusiastic about every person on this show. He has an opinion of everyone. Um, Knowledgeable I, I, about it now, too. Like, knows he, all the stories, of course. And, yeah, like, has a definitely. good, deep understanding of, of, of everything. Uh, so, yeah, Jim Ross actually did tweet today a photo of him with Excalibur and Tony. So he is there. Okay, uh, so that would make sense that he's probably on Dark next Tuesday. Yeah, so interesting. But yeah, like, you know, as as you said, like, you know, to me, like, in these several weeks, AEW has shown that it's got a really good roster of even fill-in commentators. Like, any combination of, you know, Taz, Jericho, Tony, Jericho, Excalibur, I would say even the weakest combination of them has, at the very least, been decent uh, to very good. I agree, yeah. And I'm sure tonight they probably just, they wanted Jericho on for, for the whole show, and especially for the, the closing angle. Um, So, um. They showed shots of the fans with their masks on, and this is where they they sang the theme for Jericho coming out. Already in the ring are the Young Bucks and the Natural Nightmares, Dustin Rhodes and QT Marshall. To start off the gauntlet match, uh, we have Allie in the corner, and they explain no brandy after last week's attack by Anna Jay on Saturday. Jericho says, 10% capacity, wearing masks, social distancing. And Jim Ross says, we're following all the rules, everybody. They were uh, definitely sure to remind uh, us repeatedly, yeah. Uh, showing, doing uh, all their crowd shots were of fans with their masks on, uh, distance, you know, in their pods. So, yeah, that, w- that was like, you know, ma- making sure that um, I they didn't get any backlash, I guess. Uh, Dustin did a spot where he... Got all winded with Matt, but then he comes back with his power slams. QT got dumped to the floor, so Allie's checking on him. Dustin hits the Canadian Destroyer that Jericho says he's never been near Canada. That's a Texas Destroyer. He can't even get across the border. There's a handspring back elbow by QT that totally misses the Bucks, so he takes two super kicks, and they finish him with the BTE trigger with Nick pinning QT. And fine match, I would say. Good little warm-up. Constant action. They didn't go overboard with like crazy high spots, but it was athletic and exciting enough. So that takes us to the number two ranked best friends. Uh, Nick did a flip to the apron, dives, and then lands on his feet, and Trent spears him on the floor. Uh, Jericho doesn't want them to plug BTE here because it's a silly show. I'm never going on there. And Tony says, You have no sense of humor. Jericho says, I'm funny. He hates them being creative. <laughs> um, uh, he was on fire tonight. He's like, great because man. you can even see like the improv that yeah. Jericho will just say a line and then it's almost like he doesn't even know what he's committed to, but he's committed to the bit and he'll just yep. keep going with it. Like for sure. These idiots, look at their hair. It's all long, a bunch they're, of hippies. They're they're competing for their uh, best will. Best will, <laughs> is that a word? Yeah. Uh, like he could, he could just do this solo. I wouldn't recommend it, but he, no. I think he could. Like I think he could manage a conversation with himself. With Maybe like for a, like a a break in the fight app during picture in picture, they could just let him call the action. That could be the 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 uh, test. Matt does his rolling northern lights. Uh, Trent encounters one with a tornado DDT. They do the soul food into the half and half. Big hug with the zoom out. And Trent is draped from the ring, 450 by Nick. Then they do it again in the ring. They only get a two count. And then they set up for the indie taker to finish off Trent. But Nick gets held on the apron by Hangman Page, who has appeared. And Trent capitalizes, roll up onto Matt, pinning him. 
And then Hangman has this guilty look on his face. And I'll tell you what the coolest thing was. The aerial shot of this replay. Because you're looking overhead of the roll-up and Nick being grabbed on the edge of the apron. And that was a great use of this aerial shot to get everyone uh, like you're in a helicopter watching this. I, I didn't pay particular attention to it, but that sounds really cool. I wasn't crazy about this finish. It was like a very un AEW like ending to a match, but they are going with this story, obviously, that I guess there's more to it. Like Hangman really played up like he felt like he was guilted into doing this. Um, and this would play out later in the show, but this gets rid of the young bucks. It avoids them facing FTR and out of the tag title picture for all out. I think I can excuse like a distraction finish if it is used to tell a story that's been like uh, 10 months in the making, which is what this was. This was this continues pages like, you know, uh, conflicted feelings towards the elite. And this was, to me, an incredibly significant moment in that entire storyline, because for the first time, after months of teasing, you had Paige physically doing something antagonistic against his friends um, in a non-competition setting. You know, this was like as close to Hangman Page physically attacking uh, another member of the elite as we've come, as far as I remember, um, mm-hmm. unless he's actually slapped them or something. He teased like the buckshot lariat after that tag match, but beyond that, never really physically laid hands on on one of them, right? So um, I... I Thought it was like a perfect time to to do it. Uh, I didn't expect it in the body of this match, that's for sure. And no Kenny Omega on the show either. So Mm. it was just Hangman representing the uh, champions. So we got best friends against FTR, who are out with Tully Blanchard. And the match begins during the break. They're in picture in picture. They went like 20 minutes without a commercial. And I don't know about you. You you were watching on Fight, weren't you? Yes. So maybe it wasn't as noticeable. I was watching it on TSN. It just felt like they were very commercial heavy on this show, just at odd parts as well. Um, Even once we got to the main event, it was like commercial break. We got 90 seconds of the main event. Then we went to another commercial and then came back. And it just seemed like they were either like uh, backloaded off of commercials or just it just seemed like they were in a higher frequency than usual for a AEW show. I mean, that's that probably just comes down to the the timekeeping of it all, right? Yeah. Um, Whatever that role is called. Script supervisor. I don't know. Whatever you call that. The timer. The guy who times the commercial breaks and when to go to break. Anyway, whatever. Um, But I'll say like the difference between like a AEW commercial break and like a WWE commercial break is that like all the action is like relevant. You know, like, and I don't even know if they like necessarily tell the wrestlers, hey, you're in commercial break. Because like sometimes you, you know, watching on the fight app where you just see everything like they they do significant portions of the match, you know, like they're Dude, Sammy Guevara, like, like got busted open in the picture in picture tonight. Yeah. And in this case, I don't even know how much of it was was in camera, how much of it was in commercial, but it was all FTR, like working over Chuck's knee. Did they start att- like did they attack before the commercial? Yeah, they they, oh, they uh, it was during the break that they attacked them and started yeah. the match. So like yeah. really like the the bulk of the story of this match was FTR attacking Chucky e. T's knee, and they did that during the commercial. So if you you know I don't know I mean I'm sure you would have still followed it if you came back from commercial, but 
Um, it's definitely one of those things you can't really skip. Yeah, the story of this, FTR attacked Taylor. They worked him over in their corner, and they're destroying his left knee. They wrapped it around the post uh, during the picture-in-picture, and they did replay that. Harwood knocks Wheeler off the apron when he's kicked into him, and then Harwood chop blocks Taylor's leg, and he applies an inverted figure four. And he's just got the move attached, and JR and Jericho start talking about the contract signing that's coming up, and they're discussing MJF when all of a sudden, Taylor taps out. It was such an unexpected finish that it caught the announcers by surprise, and... It made perfect sense. They worked over his knee the whole match, and this inverted figure four, he couldn't get out of, but he fought it at, at first. It wasn't like the instant tap. Um, you know, it was kind of just an unconventional ending, and I like that about FTR, that it's not just going to be the uh, the Goodnight Express or the Mind Breaker that are your finishes, that you can win from a variety of different ways. So FTR wins, and to me... Sets up an incredible tag match for this pay-per-view. Absolutely. Um, you know, I thought it was um, wise that they made sure not to have the best friends, or, or sorry, to have uh, FTR and the Bucks meet each other uh, yet in a gauntlet match like this. Um, I think, you know, best friends going for the, sorry, I keep saying best friends. Uh, FTR going for the championship against Omega and Page is like maybe the best match you can make right now in the division. And I would expect a title change. And FTR certainly are the team that I think, you know, you would expect to be able to lead a division like this, perhaps leading all the way up to the Young Bucks match in the future. So uh, it's a sensical story that they told throughout. I There was a part during the middle of this, John, I don't know if, if, if you caught it, but like, it was really odd where like, you know, um, so what was it? It was like, Har- you know, Dax Hartwood is pushed into uh, Cash Wheeler in the yep. corner. Yep. And then, like, Knox calls that a tag, which I would assume that he should. But then, like, Chucky e. T goes for a pin on Harwood. And then Knox says, hey, he's not the legal man. I'm not going to count it. But they persist. And then he decides, okay, I guess I'll count it. So what happened there? You know, like, did not like, was it, did Knox, like, who fucked up? Was, did the, the was, tag? Was Wheeler holding the tag rope? So that's the thing I was wondering. Was the tag rope rule in play? They, they made it clear it was because it was an FTR match, and that's in the contract, that, that the tag rope is always in effect for their matches. But I meant for that specific tag, which which was strange. I couldn't really tell from the camera angle because, like, Wheeler was, like, right in the corner, so I, I it wouldn't make sense why he wouldn't be touching it. Mm-hmm. Anyway, it was just a really weird spot, and um, the announcers ne- didn't, like, really... Like, you had Jericho actually yelling at Rick Knox. So I don't know if they really understood it in the in the moment either, but it was certainly like the the one confusing blemish in the match, I would say. Those are those are spots where if the referee is going to make that, like you've got to treat it like legit and the referee has to enforce it then. And these guys gotta react on the fly. If he yeah, says it's a tag, so, then you have to listen and and not just ignore him and continue with your spot. So I have no idea. Like it could have been that, maybe I don't know, but they Clearly didn't listen to the referee, and the referee was like, okay, oh well. And they just continued, yeah. Uh, Jericho also compared Tully Blanchard to Scotty Bowman afterwards. Uh, would you agree? I mean, uh, legendary coach, I, I guess. I, I don't know. Tully Blanchard, I mean, he hasn't really hit that legendary managerial status yet. I mean, he hasn't, no hasn't really done much as a manager. Yeah, no, no championships. I mean, he does have the distinction of being the best minutes 
on the Heroes of Wrestling pay-per-view with that promo he cut. Oh, okay. Yeah. That, and that the is... only thing I could recommend on the Heroes of Wrestling pay-per-view is Tully Blanchard's promo. That is an award. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, this is the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen. We come back from break, and there is a black and white video with Darby Allen, and he proceeds to... Like, get to the top of, like, something approximating the Golden Gate Bridge, okay? That's how high this guy was, and jumped off the bridge into it, the it, water. It was not as high as the Golden Gate Bridge. I mean, Golden it Gate Bridge. It was pretty goddamn high, dude. This was really high. This was, like, you know, the height of, like, you know, I would say, like, a really tall bridge in some, like, small town. The Golden Gate Bridge, like, if you jump off that, you Okay, it wasn't dead. the Golden Gate Bridge, okay? But it to this was not the... Uh, the goddamn bridge at your local park either, okay? This was... It was a very tall bridge. He wasn't jumping off the bridge. He was jumping off of, like, the, the structural kind of support at, like... At I the had so many top. questions about this. How did he get up there? Why are we watching this in black and white? I mean, wh- what was this? What <laughs> He also had thumbtacks on his back, presumably still yeah. stuck from the prior uh, attack from Ricky Starks. Like, how can you even do this? Um... um you know, so much of what this kid does on video, I would just assume he does on a normal weekend for fun anyway. He's just... What, Tony Khan just opened up his inbox and got this week's video submission and he ended up watching a guy jumping off a bridge? You truly believe that he said he called Tony Khan and asked him if it was okay that he did this? No, I, I don't, I don't believe so. that at all. I believe I mean, he just, he just said, hey, I had this idea. Yeah, just do it, Darby. Hey, I got a really cool video. You want to see it? I mean, this makes no sense. So I guess it's like, well, we can't not run it because then he jumped off a bridge for no reason. Mm. It makes sense in that he's like bad shit crazy. And I think that's what the character is. You know, that's what he, he essentially tries to show every time he sends us one of these crazy things. He's nuts. Like this video, if he had shot this like from multiple angles or whatever, like this would be the most circulated video on the Internet anywhere. You're kind of, yeah, you might be right. I mean, um, it, like if this was just a viral video and not like a black and white art piece. Yeah, that um, is was a total afterthought on this show. <laughs> like this would honestly. kind of right. Yeah, that's true. Somehow I don't think he cares about, you know, being a viral sensation. I think, I don't know what he does care about. He cares about the Casino Battle Royale, which he will be part of, along with 21 men in total, including Lance Archer and the winner We'll get a future AEW title shot um, after the pay-per-view. So this will be, I guess, to slot in as many members of the roster as possible. And later, we would learn Team Taz would be in this. So it won't be a Darby Allin-Ricky Starks match, but instead, they'll be part of the Battle Royale. You know, compared to, like, previous Casino Battle Royales, I mean, you're talking about a talent that is far more developed in character and storyline. So um, as a result, I think you'll have, like, a lot more like legitimate contenders. Lance Archer versus cruiserweight classic alumni Sean Maluda. Mm-hmm. Jake Roberts is out with him. Archer nails a guy ringside and attacks Maluda with the pounce, beats down on his chest. Jim Ross is comparing Archer to Stan Hansen. He no sells chops, drops Maluda with one chop, running elbows in the corner, choke slam, lifts him up, blackout, EBD claw. And he wins in 256. Um, yo, great kind of squash match for a Lance Archer. And I will say, 
I feel the Brody Lee angle was so great on Saturday for a multiple multiple reasons. Not the least of which is that I think it renews your uh, kind of interest in so many of these other monster characters to know that mm-hmm. these guys are there and they're in these positions where, okay, we're not going with this guy now, but at any point that could dramatically change. And this is not WWE where you are cast in a spot and you're going to just wallow in the mid card until you're arguing with Ricochet and doing arm wrestling contests. Um, I think a guy like Lance Archer, you watch and it was like, this is a guy that they're just, he's in the background and could be, I just thought it was such a great angle that they shot on Saturday that just tells you where, how fast they can just flip the switch on someone. Your big guys are like, are always going to have that advantage, you know, provided you don't completely job them out into comedy acts and always kind of keep them at that, like, you know, upper echelon level, they can be titled contenders like in an instant. You know, via an attack or in this case, perhaps a battle royal. And I think them putting, you know, um, the spotlight on on Lance Archer here after I would say a brief period out of the spotlight um, really kickstarts his run for the title. And I think makes him certainly a top contender for this battle royal. Jake cut a promo saying uh, it better be Lance that wins this battle royal because we need to wipe the one blemish off his record. And they, they made a good use of his record here. He's 13 and one with the one loss being to Cody when he first came here. And Jake uh, lamented that that one loss has cost them so much time and set them back. Archer just says, everybody dies. And Jake compares Lance Archer to feeding a wood chipper. Then out came team Taz, Taz, Brian cage and Ricky Starks to which Jake said, Oh, it's the Flintstones. It's the Flintstones. Fred, Barney, and Wilma. Mm. Why the Flintstones? I don't know, but man, he was really proud of this one because he said it multiple times. I mean, there's you could have picked like any sitcom, you could have picked any cartoon, you know. But like what is disting- distinguishable about these three men that he would pick Three members of the Flintstones cast. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm not sure. But okay. Yeah. You could have said the Adam family. Could have called no, them they, Haystacks Calhoun. No, those, those are taken. Uh, also, I mean, the Flintstones, I mean, the that's kind of getting into Yabba Dabba territory. Ooh, so, right. I mean, that also kind of has a tie-in. <laughs> Taz says that him and Jake have never crossed paths. And I will say, after this exchange, I don't know if that's a bad thing. They just talked over one another, and then Jake went down deep and said, you guys better wear chicken suits to the Battle Royal because you're going to get plucked. Taz was just like, I don't know. He just had no answer for this guy because he's out of his mind. He was silent, yeah. And thankfully, Darby Allen interrupted this very awkward back and forth coming into the arena on his skateboard, attacking Starks, and had a very uh, pretty violent attack on Starks, knocking him out of his shoes, and they went and fought through the tunnel. Jake, like, literally looked blown up after this promo while he was holding Lance Archer back, and Cage held up the FTW title. Um, yeah. This is a really weird segment with Jake and Taz. You know, they're... they're more, ha- so, more so on the Jake front, but yes. There haven't been really any... It- 
t- bad Taz segments on AEW thus far, but this was definitely one of them. Unfortunately, I think you know you, when once he came out, you can tell he was kind of sandwiched between two entrances, and he didn't get to say a whole lot to Jake because Jake was talking all over him, which I, I guess also signals that this was very much an improvised thing. Um, and not the first time we've seen that with Jake. That was with the Arn deal as well, where mm-hmm. he was just listen. We we talk about letting guys go out with bullet points and no writers. And, you know, there's also a downside when you're throwing guys out and granted Arn, Jake, those are guys I think you would have a lot of confidence in. We've seen with Jake, like him improvising, it can be a very awkward dance when it's two guys on the mic and you don't always want that. You talk, I talk kind of back and forth, but at the same time, I don't think you want this where guys are just stepping over one another and it ruins any flow to this exchange. It's a very fine balance. Absolutely. Uh, but, you know, for whatever reason, it did not work out here. MJF does his entrance in the back on his walker with the neck brace and asks Lee Johnson if he thinks this is funny and starts making his way out. They had a very short feature, but I thought it was an effective one mm-hmm. to build up Hikaru Shida and Thunder Rosa and... Obviously, NWA all on board here to the point that they gave them clips from Power to air here. We also saw some clips from Freelance Wrestling, and they had interview clips from Billy Corrigan and then sit-downs with Tony Schiavone and Jim Ross and the potential of Thunder Rosa becoming a dual champion. And the way it was um, positioned was it's the AEW title that's on the line. It's not the case of Hikaru Shida who could become a dual champion. At least that's what I took from it. And Corrigan said that... Um, he was all in on this idea when it was pitched to him by AEW. And then we had the world's fastest pro wrestling contract signing uh, that was done. It was a taped contract signing where they signed. Sheeta grabbed her belt so Thunder Rosa couldn't touch it and just said, I will win. And listen, they are, I think they found a very effective way to promote this and take a match that a week ago, there was probably a decent amount of the audience who had never heard of Thunder Rosa, but it's, hey, it's the NWA Women's Champion. I know who Billy Corgan is. And this is an outsider coming to take Sheeta's title. And they both think they're the best female in the world. And it's a simple story. Absolutely. Completely. I I really like it. Um, I And I really love, like, the what we, what the AEW demonstrated here of, like, a real no-bullshit cross-promotion between two promotions in AEW and NWA. I mean, uh... I think every everybody really benefits from this. It's great for AEW because you showcase Thunder Rosa as a significant star. star. Um, and I would say to me, somebody who immediately ranks far higher than anybody else they currently have available to choose from on the roster. Um, not only is she, you know, like, I think she's just like a really interesting character to begin with. But you add really like the status of her being an NWA Women's Champion on top of it all. It becomes that much bigger of a hook you know to see one versus the other in a dream match scenario for people who might know her um and of course it's great for the nwa you know it gets to keep their name out there while they've been on hiatus and exposure like this will greatly increase thunder rosa's stock which then they can use to promote their own show so it's a scenario and i think an example of cross promotion where i think everybody benefits maybe this is just the beginning and in a couple of weeks we're gonna get jake roberts coming out and saying my newest client, it's the question mark. Whoa. Oh, my goodness. I would love that. I'd miss the question mark. I've wow. got the exclamation point. <laughs> I don't know oh, what man. Jake would do with this guy. 
He would speak all over the Moldovian anthem, I bet. Probably. Wouldn't uh, wouldn't let them play it out. So this was the first. We got back-to-back contract signings because next was the MJF John Moxley signing. MJF is out with his entourage, and then John Moxley comes through the arena, and this place is going nuts for him. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. They, man, this guy is just so incredibly popular. He's holding the contract because it was faxed to him earlier in the day. I want to know how John Moxley had a fax machine. Yeah, who Florida. owns a fax machine anymore? Like at his not, – not even at his home. I mean he's in Florida. This was earlier today. How did this man get a fax in 2020? You know, I, I would expect a uh, uh, Dropbox link, email, yeah. PDF, something, yeah. but a fax. Jericho was so excited hearing this crowd cheering for Moxley. And then they go overboard plugging the PWI 500 because John Moxley was number one. And they informed Jericho, you are number three. And he says, who is number two? And they didn't answer because it was Adam Cole. Oh, okay. Interesting. Um, you know, when your guy is number one, I guess. I guess. they yeah, like... Um, sorry, go ahead. I mean, I, I'm just amazed. Like the, the PWI 500. Here we are in, in 2020. It's still... It's, it's the list that I will say probably per capita more wrestlers take seriously than fans. Uh, to this day. You think so, eh? Wow. Yeah, um, it is something that I think oddly fits into like, or at least like nicely fits into the body of a wrestling program because it is a kayfabe listing, you know, like don't they base it off of like wins? Yeah, I, I, you know, over the, over the years, I think they've, they've adjusted somewhat and they've got a new uh, editor. They even, they even mentioned his name here in this. So it seems that uh, it was just interesting to see the fact that they, you know, got some you know, publicity here through AEW. Yeah, yeah, sure. And why not? It, it makes your guy feel that much more important. He's your world champion. He's number one. MGF's lawyer explains the contract, outlines that the paradigm shift will be banned at All Out. The crowd is chanting loudly while MGF speaks of Moxley. And MGF says he isn't an animal. He can separate business from emotion. And he wants Moxley to practice social distancing. Like your hairline. Ooh. Moxley says, eh, you'll get there one day, but you've got to hit puberty first, you little fuck. Good comeback. Great yeah, back and was... forth. MJF says, you're about as sharp as a marble, and I never got the hype about you. I always thought you were a one-trick pony professing, look at me, I'm crazy. But I was wrong. You're really good. And back at Double or Nothing... It was Mike Tyson backstage saying, this guy Moxley, I wouldn't want to be in a dark alley with that guy. I hope they were recording Mike Tyson the whole time he was back. Could you imagine if they had Mike this guy and got him to say, imagine Mike Tyson. I, I totally buy this story that Mike Tyson might have said this. Oh, yeah. But, yeah, I would too. But I mean, that's, a, that's quite the statement there. Mm-hmm. MJF says they're not going to be in a dark alley on September 5th. They're going to be in a wrestling ring. And that's where Moxley is in danger because I am a wrestling prodigy. I will use every piece of this ring to my advantage using the precision of a brain surgeon. And Moxley, you're going to panic because you're not a wrestler. You're a glorified goon. And I'm not going to fall into your trap of fighting on the floor, fighting around the ring. You grew up studying guys like the Sandman. Oh, what an insult. New Jack. 
the name no one imagined would be name dropped on TNT this year. John Zandig and Onita. Hot garbage. Mm. While I studied wrestlers like Buddy Rogers, Ernie Ladd, and Tully Blanchard. I don't know if Ernie Ladd is always the go-to of like uh, highly technical wrestlers. Um, but nonetheless, he will become AEW World's Champion on September the 5th. And he tells Moxley to go tell his hot wife that I'm single. And Moxley stands up, but the lawyer threatens to sue him. And Moxley just calmly says to the lawyer, sit down, dickwad. And you too, Flex Magazine, staring at Wardlow. Moxley asks if he really needs the paradigm shift to beat MJF. Yes, I want to dump you on your head and give you more neck damage, but you're forcing me to get creative and to think of all the limbs of yours I can snap and how I can choke the air out of your body. I don't want to get sued. I don't know any lawyers. In fact, my public defender, he's probably in jail now. And nothing you say matters, and nothing I sign matters. On September 5th, you're a dead man. And at the end of this, he signs the contract. MJF laughs uproariously, and then Moxley points out that you guys were really cool about signing off on page 17 where I added something. And MJF panics. He didn't read the full contract, and it reveals that in order to get this match, Moxley gets to face the lawyer next week. And if the lawyer doesn't show up, MJF loses his title shot. And next week, the paradigm shift is legal. And thus ended one of the best contract signings I can recall. These two were excellent. Excellent, excellent, excellent. Great segment. Really great. Um I think this is a reminder of like what co- contract signings were probably like before they became like the stuff of pro wrestling cliche. Like in in its essence, it's just they're a great platform for professional wrestlers to cut promos on one another and to tell stories specific specifically related to the match that they're about to have. Um I loved the promos here. You had some perfect straight up pure old school professional wrestling trash talking from MJF. Uh, really good stuff, of course, from John Moxley as well. And the story of like doing this whole twist with page 17, yeah, it's incredibly gimmicky. It's one of those like, this will never happen in real life types of things. Um, but I didn't dislike it at all. I thought it was somewhat clever and ended with the baby face rather than being tricked. You know, um, outsmarted the heel and his lawyers, which to me is like straight out of like, you know, your badass Stone Cold Steve Austin playbook. He is somebody who is not only afraid to accept the handicap because he's that much of a of a badass. Um, he'll also outthink the heel as well. So uh, I thought it was a great segment. I love this. Um, by the end of it, l- listen, these segments, by the end of it, they want you to be more excited for the match. And by the end of this, I think you were that much more excited to see this match in however many days it is. Uh, mm-hmm. Or what? A week and a half or two weeks? When is this? Ten days. Ten days till nine days? Um, yeah, it's a, it's a little over a week. A week Saturday. Yeah. So uh, great segment between these two. Um, and we get Moxley versus the lawyer, who I love that he is not even named. He's just the lawyer. The and lawyer. he doesn't need a name. He's the lawyer. Everyone gets it. Santana and Ortiz recap the attack on Sue's van and... They're, they laugh off that they 
are being asked to give an apology, saying that was a weak move. Ortiz only apologizes that Trent's mom, Sue, wasn't in the van when they wrecked it. Ouch. Yeah. Then before our eight-man tag... Getting back to that, I mean, um, I thought uh, Santana and Ortiz sounded so intimidating, so gangsta in this segment. I loved it. They were being so serious. Really, I would say trying to bring the fire out of this feud. But then you have the best friends who... I mean, they had one segment really to retort, but in that retort, I mean, they were, again, turning it all into comedy, which, again, is is their gimmick. It's their shtick. They're just, like, lazy. Um, I don't know if you call them Gen Xers or Millennials at this point, but um, laziness, I guess, is in any sort of, like, generation. But um, to me, this is a rivalry that, rivalry that, like, only one team, where one team is doing all the heavy lifting. Um, and that's Santana and Ortiz. Santana is such an underrated talker. Oh, so great. They were being so, like, they were wonderful here. They were intimidating and just, like, made me really want to see this match. But the problem is, like, I'm really just not getting the same out of the best friends. Um, they To me, they're just such a blank slate that I, I really don't have any feelings about them. Yeah. I mean, Santana and Ortiz, like, they're certainly on the back burner when it comes to the tag team division, but... I mean, down the road, there's certainly a team you, you can heat up instantly. Um, they're, you know, focused very heavily being part of the inner circle. But I think long term, I think Santana definitely has a really solid heel run in him as a singles. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yes. Like, I'm very impressed with him as as a talker. Um, Joey Janela, Sonny Kiss, Brian Pillman Jr. and Griff Garrison against Pentagon Jr., Ray Phoenix, The Butcher, and The Blade. What an interesting uh, eight-man tag here. And the dynamite debut of Brian Pillman Jr. Seems like they they needed a couple teams from Dark to job to Butcher and The Blade. Um, Happy to see, like, does this mean Brian Pillman Jr. is, I guess we don't know if he's signed a full-time contract or anything, or if this is just like, I don't know, somebody, hey, we need you on, on the show. Well, as far as we know like he still has a deal with MLW, but those do allow to do outside dates as long as it doesn't conflict with MLW dates. So that seems to be the latest there. But I mean, we've also seen Pillman kind of voice his, you know, uh, you know, desire to move on. Mm. So, I mean, we will see what happens with uh, Brian Pillman Jr. But interesting, the fact he was on uh, dynamite proper here. Ross compared Garrison to Kevin Von Eric. Jericho says he could use some more muscle. Phoenix hit this huge dive to the floor, followed by Pentagon with his own. And then Kiss and Janela are double-teaming the Blade. And this included a running boot by Sonny Kiss into the splits. Phoenix then scaled up onto Penta's shoulders and then head-scissored him into the corner on Janela. We go through the picture-in-picture. Janela's fighting out of the corner. Kiss gets in, misses with the splits coming off the turnbuckle, and Phoenix nails Kiss. And then... Uh, Phoenix uh, gets knocked off balance and is hit by Janela with a Death Valley driver onto the edge of the apron. It was just all action from here on out for the finish. Pentagon hit Janela with a package pile driver on the edge. Pillman then gets the hot tag. This allows Jim Ross to bring up how he brought his father from Calgary to WCW. Jericho then mentioned being a fan of Bad Company, which was the team with uh, Brian Pillman and Bruce Hart in Stampede. And then it's a double-team powerbomb and neckbreaker by butchering the blade onto Pillman. But then Phoenix scales the top rope into an assisted package pile driver delivered by Pentagon to Brian Pillman Jr. and Pentagon Pin Pillman in 857. Just uh, 
lot of action in this eight man and trying to get uh, as much attention spread to like everyone, like get a short little bit on Griff Garrison on the beginning, Pillman at the end. And this really seemed to be like a great match for Ray Phoenix to just be Ray Phoenix for eight minutes. It was a really good, strong showcase for this new heel faction. Um, you know, further puts them on the map, gave Kingston chances to speak. Yeah, I, I'm really interested interested to see like what their goals are with this like faction because it's rare that you have like a team that is just listen. You have like the inner circle, you have the dark order. Like these are heel factions, but they also all come with like a bit of a kind of comedic edge to them. This is a team of five killers, you know, like they have potential to take over the entire company. If you told me that they were going to do that and I, I would actually buy it. Um, there's no laughing at anything that they're saying. Like they are here to like beat people up. And I, I find that really different in AEW because we haven't really seen that explored too much yet. You know, I, I think they tried with like, uh, what is it? The death triangle, but obviously, um, that's not happening. So now you add even two more members to it. So I'm really curious to see where they go, especially with Eddie Kingston as a leader. I I was a little disappointed to see them pick like Sonny Kiss and Joey Janela in this like essentially a jobber role. Uh, and I'm not even so disappointed that like, oh, they got on TV. Sure, that's great. But I'm more so disappointed that like it just reminded me that months ago we saw that great vignette of the two of them like, you know, driving and then getting into fights. And then Kiss had that great Cody match. And then none of that, none of that, none of that momentum was used at all. We hadn't seen them on Dynamite, like I feel like for weeks now, or at least do, doing anything significant on Dynamite. So the two of them are, have just appeared down to dark, and now really are just kind of fulfilling a role anybody should be playing. So I know like not everybody can be, can be featured at all times, um, but I I guess you know it just reminded me that these two and Sunny Kiss in particular, like they there was just a lot. A lot of work done for them that I feel was kind of wasted. Uh, I also, I, I skipped over it, but at the beginning, Eddie Kingston's promo, he talked about how everyone on the internet is talking about a faction. He said, no, we, these are his people before AEW and he isn't liking what he sees and he's going to lead them and himself as he winks to the camera he shouts out Yonkers 730 and then was in their corner for the match wearing a shirt that read all lives can't matter until black lives matter. And that was uh, Eddie Kingston's involvement here. And then, uh, you know, another another fine promo from Eddie Kingston at the beginning here and moving forward with this group, which is a uh, it's an interesting makeup here of this uh, that this group that the five of them. What fans were there were chanting Eddie, Eddie. And Kingston, of course, immediately tells them to shut up. Yeah, he just told um, them all to shut up. But to me, this was for any of that. This was significant because this, this was like the first time in months we've had live fan feedback about who actually is over and who right. isn't. You yeah. know, like for so long, like even a guy like a Drew McIntyre, I'm not entirely sure the fans are completely taken to to, to the push. Uh, but Eddie Kingston, at least according to these 500 people, uh, is certainly over. And he added that all five of them would be in the Casino Battle Royale, mm. uh, the pay-per-view. They recap the attack on Cody and the Nightmare family by the Dark Order, who come out carrying a casket. Evil Uno says they've been on cloud nine since Saturday. I've never been this happy. Grayson bought two vehicles, and the Exalted One bought not one, <laughs> but six 
lawnmowers. And this was mentioned on Being the Elite, and they clearly took this on tonight to insert this product placement of the Snapper lawnmower, which were displayed here with six models for us. Did they actually this, say the Snapper lawnmower? I don't know if they ever identified it, but that's what was... Uh, that was the, the brand uh, that was shown here on these it, lawnmowers. I mean, if they got some money out of this, then great. Um, I I, lo- I love that they got this idea and thought, who does this fit? Brody Lee. I, I don't know if there was any process of them collaborating to think about the idea or like if it, somebody just like either improvised it on the spot or just came up with it in like five seconds right before they were supposed to shoot the BT segment. Um. I love that they brought this stupid joke from BTE to television with absolutely no context. What this they was never, the most BTE segment Dark Order's done. What they never told you in the body of this segment was how the Dark Order got that money. They bought all of these things from their Chili's sponsorship money because they did a Chili's ad on BTE, which got them all a million dollars. So um, it's not like they won this money from like beating Cody or anything like that. They got this money from their Chili sponsorship, uh, which is the stupidest thing. It's amazing um, that Chili's is paying out that level of income uh, during a pandemic. I mean, that's great. You would think like they're really limited with like outdoor dining and limited capacity and a million dollars to all members. They've got, a, you know, it's BTE, John. A lot of people watch it. Um, and this is a custom ad from the Dark Order. So they never mentioned any of this on TV. They just show you the results. Here are six lawnmowers and two of Stu Grace's dream vehicles, and they move right so on. So stupid. <laughs> I love it. It's like it's a great little. I know, like they get flack sometimes for being too inside, but this is one of those things where like they committed to it so hard. Like if you get it, you love it. If you don't, it probably means nothing to you. They open up the casket, and it's Preston Vance ten with the Nightmare Family tattoo on his neck, making fun of Cody. And they put the Nightmare Family sign over the casket. And then Brody Lee walks out with Anna Jay. He delivers high fives to everyone except for John Silver, who he intentionally misses. So he whiffs on the high five. Then he yanks Tony Schiavone from the booth, brings him into the ring. Brody Lee brings up that last December, you laughed and ridiculed these guys while I was at home in prison. There's a... The Dark Order are chanting in the background as Brody talks. They're chanting, Cody sucks. He says, the open challenge is over. No more TV time for you independent wrestlers. And Cody, you're never getting this back. The guys start chanting, you deserve it. He tells them, shut the hell up. And Jim Ross thanks Brody for that. And he anoints Anna Jay as 99, the great one, the Queen Slayer. 99. Wow. This was Gretz. Great. Oh, shit. Never mind. (laughs) Better Uh, than my delivery. Yeah. Uh, You know, the moment. So. This is only the setup for John Silver. I have not uh, skirted past that. You're absolutely absolutely right that this is the most, like, BTE the Dark Order has been on Dynamite. And I just. I, I know they've been slow cooking that whole act. And waiting and waiting and waiting for them to fully develop before putting them on TV. And I think I think tonight you really saw the fruits of that labor because they fully understand what the Dark Order is and what makes them work. The moment they came out came out with this ridiculous casket 
like we've seen in any cliched, you know, gothy type of faction. Like we've seen the Ministry of Darkness do it a million times, whatever. And then like the very obviously like, I don't know, um, obvious and stupid, simple reveal of, oh, it's another one of their members with Cody tattoo. Like all these are like, to me, them parodying cliches. They even, the moment they start chanting, you deserve it. I howled because it was just like, they're clearly mocking like wrestling fans, you know, like these are lemmings. And um, I don't know, to me, like they really nailed like the tone of, to me, what, what makes them such a fun, entertaining act on BTE. And um, they brought it here seamlessly onto TV. And then, dude, the smile on my face, John Silver gets on the microphone. This guy might be my favorite character going right now in wrestling. He just says, Brody, I just want to tell you, you're the man. And Brody just smacks the shit out of this guy. And then you hear him off mic, pick that little shit up. (laughs) And (laughs) there's not a soul that can touch me. We're the hottest act in wrestling. And then Dustin Rhodes runs in. QT Marshall is coming in, but his neck still hurts from the gauntlet. They're beaten down. Colt Cabana is just watching all of this. Scorpio Sky is in, and then Brody uh, attacks him from behind. And then the last one in is Matt Cardona attacking Evil Uno at the front coming out of the tunnel. And they fight, and it ends up with the baby faces standing in the ring. Brody comes back out because he had left by this point with Cabana and Anna Jay, and he's pissed off. He holds up the title. Um, I thought this was a really great Dark Order segment. It was, you know, you did the intense angle on Saturday, and this was about the Dark Order getting to be the Dark Order on TV, like the new iteration of them for, for the Dynamite audience that maybe has not been following um, their stuff on being the elite. I will say this, that, you know, tonight we got the the test from the live audience of, like, booing Eddie Kingston and getting reaction. I wonder if in enough time, like, this Dark Order team – it's going to be hard to boo these guys because they are extremely entertaining. And I was greatly entertained by this segment. It, I, to me, they're already like baby faces. I mean, they are like they've been the biggest, I think, most. This is the greatest like turnaround of yeah. an act that was so dead that you just had thought like there is no like this thing was dead in December. And you know, it took a lot. And I think really it was being the elite that I think curbed a lot of people's opinion and not so much what they were doing on TV every week, because listen, even when Brody Lee came in, it's not like this thing had a lot of life attached to it. It's really been being the elite. And this past week with a hot angle for Brody Lee, it is entirely being the elite. And I think the the tone and the playground that allows these guys to play with this incredibly at first serious gimmick. You remember those join the dark order things? Like those were those are like night and like so different from what we see the dark order as today. Um and like they really I think struggled once they started not to take themselves very seriously and were almost kind of like playing everything as, you know, like a a a a series of like um I don't know, caricatures of like a goth group. Um like anyway they you know they it's embracing the the comedy has really allowed Brody Lee to find his own voice 
Um, it's you know he's no longer just a Vince McMahon parody. He is now a super entertaining, fully formed character with a unique voice that can actually you know now again has the credibility to to boot, uh, where he can actually win matches, and he's got the whole squad with him, being incredibly entertaining as well. So to me, like. Remember, like, back before, like, AEW started, we were wondering, hmm, how are they going to incorporate being the elite into, like, uh, Dynamite? To me, this was, like, you know, prime example of, like, the value of BTE and how what, what that still contains, you know, even as AEW approaches its first year with Dynamite. From there, Dasha meets up with Hangman Page in the bar, and Page gets confronted by the Young Bucks, and they're pissed off from earlier he said, uh, Matt and Nick are asking if Paige is afraid to face them again. Are you insecure? All we wanted was a friend. Nick said, I once called you a jobber. Tonight you acted like a jobber. And Matt takes his drink, pours it over Paige or splashes him in the face with it and said, we were clinging to something that doesn't exist. You're kicked out of the elite. And it ends with Hangman left by himself and he looks into the broken mirror and sees his reflection, a broken one. Do you think they actually timed the break of that mirror? Or it was probably already broken, right? Um, that w- that would have been a hell of a timing if they had like whipped open the door and cracked the mirror. Incredibly um, dramatic shot, and like straight out of a soap opera. I will say this was, um, in particular, I thought Matt Jackson, like, I don't know, he came, he came across like really trying to play a dramatic role and it was a little uh too much it definitely is one of the problems i think whenever you see like any of the elite try to be serious like you've seen them in a comedic role for so long you're waiting for the joke yeah punchline yeah um i think matt was trying his best here and i think we've seen plenty of instances where like they do get serious you remember like the you know bullet club is fine storyline where like Mm -hmm. You know, there were some real, like, definite emotions there. And I don't know if it was just maybe too This was exciting. forcing. It, it was more so on Matt, like, forcing the seriousness of it to the point. It was just too much. Um, mm. Nick, Nick less subdued, but, um, yeah. I, I mean, overall, like, this was a significant story advancement because of, you know, Paige being kicked out of the elite. And you're also left with, like, there is something hanging over Hangman's head. And we don't quite know what it is other than the kind of FTR affiliation, but it feels like he has been forced into what his actions tonight. And we don't quite know that side of the story. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, you know, what I will say is that maybe a lot of this feels like too fast, almost too sudden. You don't really have the time to like really digest and like maybe feel the, the weight of it all as much as maybe we should. Um, so I don't know. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see what the, uh, I guess they have a pay-per-view coming up that they really have to rush things for. Then, uh, you know, we were fastly approaching, like, the top of the hour, and we still had to get through this big swole match with Britt Baker, Rebel, and Penelope Ford. It was billed as a three-on-one handicap match. Baker's in her wheelchair with the face mask on and says, you're welcome for the big house for my return. And Baker says if Big Swole beats them tonight, she gets a one-on-one match with Baker in any type of match she wants. So the match begins... And it's pretty much two-on-one because Baker never gets involved in this. She stays in the wheelchair the whole time. So it's Rebel and Ford with the announcers bringing up that they get free dental and makeup for a year. And this just sounded really silly when they were explaining the uh, the reasoning for Penelope Ford's involvement here. 
Baker, um, Rebel uh, learned how to wrestle for this this one since her last match because she was just a normal wrestler in this match. She was not uh, beginner's I, class. I felt she was still kind of doing the hesitating thing when she was on the top rope. You know? When she hit the moonsault? Well, no, she was still like almost scared, maybe a little, jumping off of it the first time. Um, it's it's a it's a weird act, and it's probably not really working very well. Jim Ross asks if her name is Re- Reba or Rebel. It's- I think he was asking this honestly. Like, I I don't know, like, what name are we to call this woman? It's supposed to be Rebel. Reba is like what. Like, you know, Britt Baker has kind of insulted, insultingly simplified it to be. So Rebel uh, takes a top rope Hurricane Rana. Uh, Kip Sabian distracts Paul Turner. There was a lot of referee distraction here. They just made Paul Turner look like an idiot here. Swole yanks Kip off the apron and hits her with her spinning forearm. And then Rebel hits the moonsault off the second turnbuckle for a two count. Rebel then gets Baker's crutch. Paul Turner takes the crutch away, turns his back. So then Baker hands her second crutch. And this one misses Swole and Rebel hits Penelope Ford by mistake, allowing Big Swole to pin her in two minutes and 49 seconds. Baker has a tantrum. And this was um, not great. I thought it was terrible. And, you know, I'm not talking like Rebel being intentionally bad type of terrible. It was just it was just bad period rushed like like when you're if you're just watching this in a vacuum like it's the most convoluted story that you're trying to focus on there's no time for this mm-hmm. it's like they're racing to finish this because either something went long or they just didn't have a lot of time to begin with but i just thought all of this was a mess and by the end of it was i clamoring to see Britt baker and big swole not entirely um you yeah. know the best I can say about this was, like, Baker's promo at the beginning. But th- this was not a good segment at all. I've really, like, obviously enjoyed, like, so much of what B- Baker's been doing. Um, I think perhaps if you were talking about the feud with Swole, maybe they hit their peak, you know, like, several weeks earlier. Um, this, I don't think, has helped. Um, I She got injured before Double or Nothing. So we're talking May. Right, yeah. Like, we're three months removed from, you know, when this... This angle kind of started to take place. Mm-hmm. So what are we saying? This is a all out? Is that right? I think it's got to be, yeah, in some kind of stipulation that Big Swole has to choose. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, the return of Britt Baker will make a big difference. Um, you know, especially, like, if there's an audience there. I think that'll be good. Uh, they definitely have a chance to redeem themselves, but this was not a good segment. Then, this was interesting. When they teed up next week... Uh, Jim Ross just said, next week, we'll be back on Wednesday, as far as we know. Okay, interesting. Now, th- I'm only speculating, but if they, mm. you know, there's games that have been missed on TNT, they could be thinking, like, they've got to make up games, and maybe that could cause uh, changes to the schedule next week. That's the only thing I could think of that could affect AEW's time slot, because, you know, there were games that were supposed to be on TNT that you would think have to be made up on the schedule. Yeah, at this point, anything's possible. And, like, what what happens once we get to the next round? Well, we know that in mid-September, there's a week where AEW's going to get a one-hour show late on a Wednesday after NBA finishes, and then they're going to come back with a two-hour show on the Thursday, the next day. So it's actually going to be three hours of AEW over two nights. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, but that's the only other change that was 
stated. Are there special scenarios where, like, you know, if such and such goes to, like, a game seven, then, you know, it goes, like, they have to take a Wednesday or, or, or I mean, how much uh, do we know? I don't know. I, I could look at the schedule, but, I mean, when they announced it, I, I would think, like, if they were expecting any more changes, they would have announced it all at once when they had the schedule. So as far as I know, it's only that that week in, I think it's September 16th and 17th. Those are the only other changes, but you're right. I mean, especially now that they've got to uh, reschedule games, um, you know, it, it could affect Wednesdays. So next Wednesday, what they did promote is Moxley versus the lawyer, Santana and Ortiz against the best friends, a tune-up match for Chris Jericho against Joey Janela, and then private party and SCU teaming up to take on the young bucks and the Jurassic Express with the winning side facing one another at All Out. So it'll either be Private Party against SCU or the Young Bucks against Jurassic Express. It's a really weird stipulation. Very odd. Like, what motivation, I guess, would anybody really have? Uh, you want to get a pay-per-view payoff, so you want to ensure you get spots on the on the card, I guess. Oh, I guess so, yeah. I guess that makes sense. Then, like, they... The announcers seemed to be, they went into promoting the matches for the pay-per-view, but it just seemed like they were on different pages because I'm pretty sure they announced that like the, the they, Dark Order 8-man they said would be on TV next week, but the graphic clearly identified it for All Out, which would be uh, Dustin, QT, Scorpio Sky, and Matt Cardona against the Dark Order, which includes Brody Lee, and I, I didn't catch the other three of whichever members would be with them. Yeah, so uh so wait, did the graphic originally show next week? Or was it the they, all out graphic? It was the all out graphic, but the voiceovers the announcers said next week, but I'm pretty sure they were mistaken. Yeah, right. That's what it sounded like. It, it did come on like the I saw the graphic in the body of like the next week ad, so maybe that's why. But let's take a look here. Seems like it's a, it's an all out match. Um we consult with Andrew Thompson. Like the graphic clearly said um all out on top. I'm pretty yeah, sure. Yeah, like that that's that's what I saw. Yeah. So I believe we have yeah, okay. So yeah, it's listed here. Andrew's got it listed here for the pay per view as well. Okay. So there we go. Um and, and then, then they also said uh we had an interruption here, and this is what maybe threw them was that in the middle of promoting the matches for next week and the pay per view. Anna Jay came out with Evil Uno and Grayson and presented uh, Tenara Conti with a folder to join the Dark Order. Conti looked at the folder, had an expression that you could not possibly interpret, and then just gave the most insincere hug to Anna Jay, and we're left to believe that she's joining the Dark Order. But this seemed so um, odd. She, yeah, it was an odd way to join a faction, but. Um... This, I mean, she hugged her. Um, she replied to this offer with the expression you would have when you're offered a sample at the grocery store. Like, <laughs> okay. I'll try your Colt. Yeah. Yeah. Colt Cabana. Why haven't we came up with that yet? Why haven't they come up with that yet? Um, Colt. Well, now you've offered it, so. Colt Cabana. Okay. Yeah, so uh, Tainara Conti was a, a tag team partner of Anna Jay's. Uh, so what is she going? Is she going to be one hundred now? Yeah, yeah. Okay, ninety nine hundred. That's nice. Sammy Guevara came out with his signs. 
Uh, we went to our our picture in picture as he just stood there, and then we came back, and the tables match began. They went ninety seconds before going uh, into picture in picture, and this was Matt Hardy in a tables match on the twentieth anniversary of the first TLC match. Oh yes, that's right. Wow, yep. crazy. Twenty did we think, years. Did you think twenty years later after seeing that match that he would still be doing these? I believe on that night in two thousand, I predicted that these guys will be lucky to get uh, ten years out of the uh, after oh, this. Man. Amazing. And, well, let's see. Uh, Matt and Jeff and Edge. Really, they, they all lasted at least 10. Edge was almost done 11 years later, but then has come back. Um, and, but today, I mean, how many have wrestled in the last year? Edge, Christian did an angle. Uh, Edge, Bubba, Matt, and Jeff. Devon's retired. Of all of them, of all of them, Jeff was the one that I, I saw the least uh, – the least amount of time left on his career, even at that age. And goddamn, 20 years, I never would have predicted Jeff, who has gone fairly consistently for those 20 years outside of a few, you know, whether it be wellness violations or, you know, the odd injury here and there. He has had injuries, but fuck, 20 years he's gone. Incredible. Yeah. So we come back from the picture in picture and Sammy is busted open. Hardy misses an elbow coming off the apron and goes to the table, but they make it clear it has to be an offensive an offensive maneuver that puts you through the table. So that means either Sammy would have had to throw in Matt through, or it would have to be drive um, him through. Well, I was gonna say either that or you have to slap your thigh and then you go through the table, which is also deemed offensive. <laughs> Guevara, it's late. Guevara goes to use the chair, but Hardy stops him. And they're playing it up ever since Hardy went through the table that like his equilibrium is off. And he was fairly convincing here because this man could not stand up straight. Um, he comes back, wraps Sammy's neck around the chair and hits the okay. twist of fate. Sorry, sorry. So before all that, I mean, um, I you know, the big story of this match will be that Sammy got cut on the side of the head. You know, in a in a similar instance of like what happened um, to start this entire feud, yeah, we... but it happened in the picture in picture, and I don't think anyone oh, okay. up when it when it I happened. I saw it fully. Like it okay, was what Sammy, happened because Sammy it was hard going to see. for a topic on hero through a table. Uh, Matt got out of the way, and Sammy crashed into it, and then he stepped back up with this huge gash on the side of his head. So again, um, how the turntables? It's the exact reverse. Of what happened. Well, not the exact reverse, but in this case, I mean, it definitely looked like it was a hard way cut from Sammy Guevara, who was bleeding a whole lot in the body of this match. Your theory might be right that they don't tell them when the breaks are. Because why would you be doing such a massive well, part of the match during the picture in picture? In this case, I mean, they probably had to rush through all their spots anyway. This was a very rushed match, especially given the the level of this feud. Um so anyway, he takes a twist of fate. Matt brings out a table that reads deleted, sets up the table with a chair underneath the table. And this, I watched this. I was like, my God, this is going to be the new table spots where we got to put shit oh. underneath the table to make everyone know that it's not some cushioned landing. You're just completely messing up your back. So I don't know what Matt may have inadvertently introduced here, but he... Climbs to the top, but then he's off balance, and Sammy climbs up 
and proceeds to superplex Matt through the table on top of the chair. This looked fun. Six minutes and 40 seconds, Sammy Guevara wins the match. Yeah, uh, again, you know, unfortunately, like, very rushed. Um, but, I mean, I thought oddly poetic in, in Sammy getting being the one to have, like, <laughs> have to ride the whole thing through with an un, an intentional, what looked to be an unintentional, very deep gash. Um, uh, but, yeah, unfortunately, it was it was kind of rushed. Did deliver, I suppose, you know, the hardcoreness of it all. Uh, man, I don't need to see Matt Hardy, like, do crazy shit like this at this point in his career. You know, just a simple table break, I think, would have been fine. He could have yelled delete a few times. I would have been happy, man. But uh, it's the 20th anniversary. He wanted to do some crazy shit. I thought this was the greatest setup. Jericho is just over the moon about Dynamite. He calls this one of the best Dynamites and said it's one of the best finishes to a show we've ever had. And on cue, Orange Cassidy runs out and beats the hell out of Jericho. He attacks him in the broadcaster's area. It's an aggressive attack by Cassidy. Officials are out to pull them up. Jericho's trying to get his shots in, and they just go off the air with a brawl between the two. But uh, I thought just a great setup. One of the best finishes to a show we've ever had. And boom, he gets pounced. Really simple. You know, they set it up last week with the attack, and now this week you had a retaliation um, really simple way to build up to that mimosa thing they got coming up. So tonight's dynamite. Um, you know, we are one episode away from the pay-per-view. I would say tonight they did a really great job with Moxley and MJF. I think they, the promos have really carried that, that one very strong tag match should be excellent at the pay-per-view. And I guess the big thing is it looks like Cody is off for a while. I think that's attached to that um, the series he's doing, he's involved with with Stephen Amell. Um, mm. So that might be why he's gone now. But it would appear um, obviously not doing the pay-per-view because Brody Lee's in the eight-man tag. And I mean, maybe that's for the best, best that you wouldn't want Cody coming back for the pay-per-view. Yeah, no, not not after a big angle like that. Um Un, uh, you know, unnecessary, and uh, the pay per view doesn't really. It's got three big matches. I yeah. think it's got the the main match, it's got the tag title match, and Jericho Cassidy. But it would feel like nine days out, the Young Bucks are either taking on the Jurassic Express, which will be a great match, but it's not. It's not a very big match for the no Bucks real story attached to it either. No, they seem no. to be kind of an odd team out when it comes to like they're not in the tag title match, and they seem to just be. It's going to be kind of a placeholder match for them, whether it's Jurassic Express or they come up with something else to put them into for the pay-per-view. Uh, I think main event is in really good shape in Mox and MJF. I think Hang- Hangman and Omega versus FTR, to me, might be the biggest draw in terms of uh, in-ring for, for the entire show. Um, Jericho and Cassidy, Mimosa Mayhem certainly has a lot of curiosity attached to it, but it also is a match that we've already seen two times. And then, you know, Shido Rosa, I think is... That's right. That's on there too. Yeah, it's like it's it's a nice kind of um maybe no like, one no one's buying the pay per view for it, but I no. think that they've done it's a bonus. you know yeah it's like a perfectly simple build up and it's yeah. you know of the available options that they had. If if you're asking me, you know, a Sheeta Nyla Rose rematch, I I like this option, uh, and it kind of opens things up to go with someone off the roster and show that hey, we can build something up in two weeks and have a compelling story attached to it. 
but are you know um i guess i i am looking at this on paper on sorry on paper and like maybe it is kind of missing like something to really take it over the top to the point where you say ah, i can't miss this show but then again we're talking about like an AEW audience that you know there are only so so many pay-per-views throughout the year that i think everybody will probably want to watch it anyway if you've been following the story um anyway uh they have one more tv show left to to really kind of um add to this or really drive home some key feuds as far as we know as far as we know way oh what do you mean as far as we know well that's what jim ross said well, next week we'll still do an episode. Well, it just might be. Uh, who knows what we'll what we'll get next week? It's also worth noting the fact that you know you're probably throwing so much talent into that casino battle royale yes. that that is not kind of um, you Which know that, that's going to yeah. I mean, you're going to have to put a lot of talent in there, and it's going to be either matches thrown together to fill out a card, or or maybe it's kind of a condensed lineup, but you're going to see a lot of time dedicated to these matches. So this year, you know, considering I think uh, maybe like the higher star power uh, in the Battle Royal, do you put that on the pay-per-view and not the pre-show? Oh, I think it'll be on the pay-per-view. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I think yeah, okay, so, so many that'll really names on there. Uh, yeah. I'm just looking here. So the lineup, we got the Moxley MJF, Jericho Cassidy, the tag title match, uh, Karushita, Thunder Rosa, the Casino Battle Royale, and yeah, the eight-man, which here it's listed uh, as Brody Lee, Colt Cabana, Stu Grayson, and Evil Uno as the Dark Order representatives. Okay. Okay. Let's go to the feedback forum, uh, forum.postwrestling.com. For those that uh, remembered that Dynamite was on a Thursday night this week. And tonight's poll, this show got a 767 We start off with Matt, who writes, I just had a question more about ratings than today's show itself. I live in the West Coast in California, and I also watch AEW and WWE on TV channel apps from my phone or tablet. Are those calculated in ratings, or is it just East Coast cable viewers? No, you would be counted if you're uh, watching through the – well, if you're watching it like on your app on your phone, that would probably be registered as their – as they're like, like their digital viewership, which they usually are, are split between that. I, I don't know if you're, if you're watching, like for us in Canada, if you're watching online through your Rogers account, I don't know if that is, that would necessarily be uh, tabulated in that sense, but you're also not, uh, you're not a Nielsen home either. So it's not like uh, they would just be taking like that. You're the, the digital audience that's, that's watching that's tabulated, but um, would not necessarily go into the, the cable because you're not a Nielsen home. So it's not you're you directly being surveyed. So for Nielsen homes, even if the shows are being staggered and, you know, on the West coast, they get it three hours later, that still counts towards the overall yes. point rating of that show for the next day. Okay. Yeah. All right. We've got a Paul from New Jersey who says way too early to have fans live, especially in the Petri dish. That is Florida. I find myself questioning this company at times way more than I thought I would. That aside, I enjoyed the tag gauntlet match. Don't know what was up with Jake the Vulture, but MJF smashed it out of the park, even with the hack contract bit. The Dark Order stuff is retribution levels bad. Big Penelope Ford fan, so needless to say, I was extremely disappointed with the match as well as the women's division as a whole. Not a good show, in my opinion. Four. Well, we can agree on the women's segment, but I I enjoyed that Dark Order segment. You know, definitely it's a segment that I don't think will be for everybody. I mean, especially if you're like... If you don't like that type of humor, if you haven't been following a lot of BTE, it might be a segment that actually asks 
you know, quite a bit of, of open-mindedness or maybe just, you know, it's not your sense of humor and they, it's definitely a bit of a risk, but I will say personally, it's working so much better than what was before. Ryan writes, I'm not sure about anyone else, but my feed TSN was glitchy at times. Audio kept cutting out. I definitely had that problem tonight. I don't know if you got any of that, but uh, the audio uh, cut, like it was just like random times. Like when John Moxley was saying, uh, what, what I signed doesn't matter. Like a key part of that promo, it just went silent. And that was consistent throughout the show. They were having those problems. I I don't know. I had moments of that like that too, and I don't know if they were like bleeping out things because of cussing or just uh, my internet feed because I was watching on the flight app. But it, it didn't seem like it was any. It happened enough times. It was not people swearing. It just seemed to be a glitch. Um, right. Anyway, mm-hmm. so it seemed like that was a issue for everyone. Overall, good show with an extra layer of goodness due to the live crowd. Tag Team Gauntlet was the best match slash matches of the night. But I'm excited to see what happens between Cage and Archer, two big hosses that can go. Uh, also sends his condolences to the family of uh, Bullet Bob Armstrong. We got a Noah from Vaughn who says, Another good episode from AEW on the road to All Out. I love the gauntlet match. Those 30 minutes flew. And the second part of it, the Bucks versus Best Friends, was really fantastic. The eight-man tag was very good and the main event was short but super entertaining. However, I thought the promo slash contract signing was the best part of tonight's show. Aside from the women's match, which wasn't all that great, this show was super enjoyable. Eight out of ten. Question, do you think that they come back with Sammy versus Hardy at All Out, given that both have wins on each other? And if they do, what stipulation do you think would place they would place on that match? That's what uh, I thought after that finish, that they come back with something. Um, TLC. Yeah. Uh, How do you top a, a tables match, you yeah, know? That's what you kind of have to do, and I'm just, I'm so over it. I just, yeah, it's, I guess. I just I think that it's, too. Yeah. especially with Matt Hardy, it's just mm-hmm. like, this guy is like, he came up with like, a character that got him away from all that stuff. And now it feels mm-hmm. like he's got to go back to all of that. And it's, you're only 20 years older than when you went through all that stuff the first time. I just, I don't know. I'm just kind of over it with the, the ladder matches and I could go for a long moratorium on them. I think this, this feud somehow like inadvertently like forced their hand to do something hardcore because like the visual of that blood, like from the cut was, was so vivid and really scream like hardcore that they probably felt the need to do something i guess they were building up the table match anyway even before that um yeah i agree uh next one is raymond from sacramento hangman why i'm wrecked i'm disappointed uh yes okay you didn't want to be in the elite and he stayed around as a friend for the past months since they since they all got back together in jacksonville but man Seeing him do that to the Bucks and then getting officially kicked out is a sad state of affairs. I hope Raymond's going to be okay here. He even got a moment uh, with... Okay, I don't know what this means. Uh, the spotlight against the wall of Daly's place and the shattered mirror, which is a common trope in film and TV. They're telling a long-term story here. A B-minus episode. Okay, we got a Kenny who says, I like the show a lot tonight. Good wrestling, good storylines, and the two hours flew by. I'm a little bummed out... That a week after I finally started to enjoy the Dark Order, they turned them into lawnmower salesmen. I get that you have to please the sponsors, but couldn't the librarians have done it? You do have Matt Hardy, who would be the most natural lawnmower salesman to just do one of his bits. 
I really do wonder if they were actually paid by the lawnmower company or if that was just a gag that they wanted to visually fulfill from like BTE. Because it would if they would weren't it... getting paid for that segment, then I agree that 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 to me is too inside and it did not enhance them. It kind of made it look silly. Oh my God, enhance them to me. Mm. I thought it was just so funny. But like, what do you think they got paid by the car company too? Uh, what car company? The Stu, Stu Grayson's car that they showed off. Oh, I mean the lawnmower. I mean, I don't even know if this was like a real brand or not. We should have looked at that. The uh, the snapper, anyway, whatever, whatever the hell it was. Anyway, uh, he says one question for you guys: Do you feel like the ranking system is starting to hurt AEW's ability to promote long term feuds? A guy like Brian Cage, who was never pinned or submitted by Moxley, gets knocked down the card into the battle role because of the ranking system. Doesn't he deserve a rematch? I don't want to sound like Jim Cornette here, but how can you have a feud over a title when one loss to the champion drops you out of the number one spot? And why does Archer care about the battle royal at all when he's already ranked ahead of everyone but MJF? I'm not saying that endless gimmick matches with bad finishes is the answer, but there has to be a middle ground. Because AEW title matches don't happen every week, so it's not like we have this logic where all these guys are getting title matches. This is uh, the equivalent of you know a fighter gets a title fight, and he may have won 16 fights, but he loses... He's not getting a rematch the, the next month. It may take him a year to get a rematch. And these AEW title matches are very few and far between. They only happen mainly at pay-per-views, the odd TV it happens. So the reason that a a Brian Cage or a Lance Archer wants to win this because this Battle Royal gives you that title shot. That gets them back to get another shot. So I I, I personally like the records. I think they really work. Um, and I don't think they've been any, anywhere near the concern that everyone seemed to have when they wanted to introduce this and thought it was going to be all this analytics and math that was going to confuse it. I think they, they use it just enough to push certain stories. And tonight explaining that that one loss Lance Archer had right out of the gate, set him back so significantly. And this casino battle Royale can get him right to the top with a title shot. For me, I just look at the rankings as sort of like a storytelling device that I need to pay attention to when it's convenient um, and kind of ignore when it serves a little purpose. Um, and they, they could very well be like paying really close attention to like saying, okay, we got to book this person to win tonight on dark because we have to boost that record because we're going to push them. Um, all that like might be fine, but as a viewer, I don't really care. You know, in the end, I just want to like watch matches i want to watch fresh matches and i want maybe i don't know some justification for why they're happening um you know i will say like even in the ufc like there's always constant debate about whether or not the ranking system is effective because it's not like always you know number number two gets to face number one you know often people are promoted simply because they're bigger names so even in a legitimate sport this is not necessarily something that you know is strictly adhered to completely so I, I personally don't really expect it. Or, I've, or at least I've stopped expecting it in a professional wrestling setting. But this this one, like MJF has won all these matches. He hasn't been pinned this year and he hasn't had his chance. Whereas, So why didn't I, he get a chance before uh, Cage? Because because again, I mean, we had we had Brian Cage win the, the that he won the title shot. Did he? He came in at the pay-per-view and he won that that contract to get the title shot. And then they announced that it was going to be well first at Fighter Fest, and then they they moved it back a week. He won that's how that he debuted. Match. I don't even remember that match. Okay, what about uh, who else did Moxley beat recently? What about Jake Hager? 
I guess Hager's undefeated too. Okay, that one might, might. But has Hager had more wins than MJF? Who who has Moxley beat recently? Cage. He beat Cage. He beat Hager, and he beat uh, somebody else. Brody Lee. Okay, so we'll tell me how did Brody Lee earn the title shot before MJF? Brody Lee got the shot. I can't remember how they set that match up. I mean. I don't even care to think about it that hard. Like, whatever. You know? There's ones you can probably poke holes in, but sure I don't think this uh, this MJF one is. And I would say, like, the other ones, it's... I, I'm glad this is not like WWE, where you get uh, a title match, and then we get three rematches afterwards, and they just do these programs over and over and over again. We were talking about this on Monday. Why does this person get a rematch? And now tonight, we're talking about, why can't this person get a rematch? So, it's... It's both sides of the argument. I would prefer this side where you work your way up to that title shot. And if you fail, you're at the back of the line and you've got to work your way back to prove that you've got to such a level that you're a threat to the champion because he's already beaten you. He's on to other challenges. Right. Yeah. Like MJF, if he loses on that Saturday, he shouldn't be coming back in two months and getting another rematch. He's going to it's going to set him back eight months. But would he still be ranked number two if he keeps winning? Oh, he he can maintain his ranking, but that doesn't guarantee you uh, a title shot, right? So eventually, let's say John Moxley beats everybody, you're gonna have like you know people ranked two, three, four, five. It's the Joseph Benavidez rule. This guy for the longest time was the number two flyweight in the world, mm-hmm. but he lost to Demetrius Johnson, and then he got a rematch with Demetrius Johnson, and he was still by many people's rankings the number two flyweight, and it took him another. Uh, seven years before he got another title fight at flyweight, even though at worst he was the number three flyweight and for many number two behind the champion. So then that's really what we're saying is not to look at rankings as, you know, necessarily this person is up next for a title shot, but more so as he's still the, he's still better than the rest because he's beating the rest. But that doesn't mean you get endless title shots. You've had your chance and then you've got to prove that you deserve another shot because we've we've had that fight and we've determined who the better person is yeah yeah i mean i don't even really check these rankings anymore but i pay attention to them when they tell me to and it's like okay i buy it but whatever sure if you have then maybe it works out too uh do we have any more feedback or is that it that's That's it it. so thank you everybody uh we are going to be back tomorrow night with Rewind to SmackDown, live at 10.15 p.m. Eastern Time for all members of the Post Wrestling Cafe. Busy weekend ahead. We've got Saturday, a post-show for members of the cafe after the Summer Struggle card at Jingu Stadium. Uh, That will be up sometime, I would say, Saturday, late afternoon, Mm evening-ish. Yeah. So look out for that. We'll also be dropping a bonus Cruel Summer on Saturday with WH Park and his guest, Stephanie Chase to review last year's G1 final between Kota Ibushi and Jay White. And on Sunday night, we will be live for our double-double ice cap and espresso patrons right after payback uh, to recap that show, the long buildup to payback. And we are going to talk about which day this week the excitement really grew the most for payback. I guess we're going to get like half the card thrown together on SmackDown. Hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I hope so. Hopefully. We got four matches. I wouldn't complain if we just got four matches on Sunday. I'm fine with that. Uh, I wouldn't either. Imagine a, what, like a, two, a one and a half hour, 90 minute pay-per-view. Oh my God. 
Five you're not bringing, stars. You're not making fans come to the arena. It's like uh, probably yeah, you, half the roster can stay home on Sunday and yeah. just bring in, just do your four matches. I'd be totally fine with this. I'm certainly curious to see like on SmackDown tomorrow, like what changes they might have implemented. You know, as far as like crowd control. Um, if you are a member of the Thunderdome for any of these shows coming up this weekend, we'd love to hear from you via feedback or calling in or or whatever. Yes, uh, those are these are kind of stories and processes I, I'd like to know more about. All right, that's it for us. We've talked a lot tonight. Thank you for listening. Postwrestling.com for all your latest news, and we'll speak with you Friday night with Rewind to SmackDown. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, Place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill.